Welcome to the fourth season of PEBC's Phenomenal Teaching Podcast. My name is Michelle Morris-Jones, and I am honored to bring you these compelling conversations. This season's theme is scaffolding. Guests will be sharing all the ways in which we can create scaffolds for students, teachers, and schools that promote agency, equity, and understanding. Of course, we will continue to link these conversations to the strands of the PEBC teaching framework by focusing on community, planning, workshop, thinking strategies, discourse, and assessment. Thank you so much for listening in. It is a great pleasure to welcome Crystal Hughes to the Phenomenal Teaching Podcast. This season, our focus is on all the ways we can support our students with scaffolds that are equitable and lead to deeper understanding and engagement. Crystal is joining me today to talk about scaffolding for student success in the area of content area writing. Crystal spent 10 years in the beauty industry before coming to teaching full-time. Throughout those years, she worked with students in many different types of settings, tutoring on the weekends, volunteering with youth in her community and at local schools. And during those years, Crystal earned a bachelor's degree at the University of Kentucky and her master's from Georgetown College. Crystal is a first-generation college student who knows firsthand the challenges of generational poverty. With the love and support of her family, Crystal has been sewing roots at the mighty Elkhorn Middle School for the past five years, where she is currently teaching eighth grade social studies, leading a team of seven teachers, and serving on PBIS. She most recently completed her principal program at the University of Cumberland's. Crystal, you are amazing. You are such a lifelong learner. You bring so much energy and passion to our field. Thank you for joining me today. I just, I can't wait to jump into our conversation, but first, like, let's hear a little bit about you. Why teaching? Well, thank you, Michelle, for having me as well. And so, you know, why teaching has really changed over the years as I've gotten older, but ultimately it's come down to the belief that you only have one life to live and how am I going to live that life uh, through the joy of serving others? Um, throughout my childhood, school and learning was just a really happy place for me. It's a joyous uh, place to be. And then just working with young students or humans or is challenging um, and it's funny and it's just a lot of fun uh, to be around young people. <laughs> oh, well, we are so glad to have you around those young people and you just bring so much to our field, which it leads us to our conversation today. This season is all about scaffolding for student success, right? I mean, kids have been through a lot in so many different ways, and so have teachers. Um, and you know, as we think about moving forward, we really want to think about how do we, what what supports do we put in place so that those students can become those independent, thoughtful learners. And so I know today we're going to dive into the ways in which you took a group of, of eighth graders who weren't particularly crazy about writing and weren't particularly crazy producing much writing to this amazing group of young historians and authors. But I think before we dive into the writing like, part of our conversation, do you mind just dropping us into eighth grade social studies? Like, what is it like to be a young historian in your classroom at Elkhorn Middle School? Well, thank you for asking that question. That is a reflection question that I ask myself all the time. What is it like to be a, a student in my classroom? Um, I really set the, the year off uh, and almost 
every lesson and tell the students, you know, you are going to be expected to read, write, and discuss every day. Uh, and a couple of things that I use to make that happen for them is the workshop model that helps me structure it uh, and thinking strategies, especially when we get to that piece of, well, actually all of those reading, writing, and discussing. So set really high expectations for all students. Um, and, you know, just thinking about, we have such a monumental task as educators and such a huge responsibility. And ultimately, you know, there's only one of me. So first I need to make a plan and then I need to find support on all different kinds of levels so that all these kids can reach their potential. And so um, the other part of that is that relationships are really important to me. Um, students don't learn from people that they don't like. <laughs> and so, you know, it's that concept of like a warm demander. And so um, building relationships and like getting to know students uh, and their interests is essential um, to classroom success. Uh, and, you know, one way that I do that is that I solicit student feedback quite often and frequently. Um, and then I discuss the feedback with the students so that they know that I'm uh, valuing their voice and also give them avenues for all voices to be heard. And then lastly, you know, critical component is really planning for engagement. So mm -hmm. going back to that you know, they, they got to like their learning environment, they got to be comfortable and feel safe to take risk. Uh, and in doing that, you got to get their interest. <laughs> um, so that that engagement piece, and then offering choices. So we know through development stages, especially at the eighth grade or middle school level, uh, that those students really thrive uh, when they have choice. And then, you know, choice also being a differentiated, uh, differentiated tool. Wow. So Crystal, what I'm picturing in, and I have had the great fortune to be in your classroom is it's not a place where kids sit, listen, take notes, regurgitate information. Your students really are engaged in reading, writing, and talking like social scientists every day. And it's so interesting to hear those components or those beliefs that are the underpinning for your instruction, offering choice, soliciting feedback, and actually listening to what the kids have to say building those relationships and having high expectations. I think that really sets a context and a picture for our listeners today as we dive into your journey this last school year with writing. Um, you had confided in me in our coaching relationship that this group of students had had a really disrupted educational experience with the pandemic. And landing in eighth grade, they weren't particularly skillful writers yet nor were they particularly interested in writing. So take us back there. What did you notice? And what goals did you set for your kids way back last August? So I think you painted that picture perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for that. But, you know, in August, we're coming off, you know, a virtual year. We did hybrid teaching. So I did a little bit of both, which was like, master multitasking uh, 
challenge there. And so, you know, where virtual teaching was more like old school pedagogy, like a lot of direct teaching, you know, we're going back into this classroom and have this incredible opportunity to like learn from, you know, the past two years and then really go for it, you know? And so, that student interest in writing and production, you know, we knew right off the bat that it was lagging, not only through assessment scores, but just, you know, we, teachers were experimenting with ways to write virtually, but it's just a really hard way to support, especially like a 12 year old, <laughs> uh, you know, in, in a classroom. And so, you know, ultimately, uh, honestly, I was scared, right? Because you're get, trying to get my quote unquote sea legs back going into the classroom, you know, not yeah. only like facing like these health questions and uh, but also like pedagogy, how am I gonna serve these kids? Where are these students at? that kind of thing. Um, and so I knew that once again, coming back to the fact like uh, such a monumental, awesome responsibility to educate these young people that I needed help. <laughs> and so um, one of the ways that I solicited help is that I was like, okay, we want them to write in social studies. And there's a very specific way to write social studies. And so I started researching um, different supports and, you know, came across Project DBQ and had heard about them before. Uh, and then I went to my very supportive principal and said, hey, I want to uh, look into this, not only for myself, but also for the entire department. Uh, just thinking on, I'm always trying to think on a wider scale how many more students can I impact? Like, what can I do for my school community? And so one way to do that is through curriculum. And so uh, we purchased Project DBQ for the entire department, um, which was so exciting. Everyone was so excited and, and um, ready to, to tackle this, right? And was excited about the support. So we kind of just broke it down. You know, the, the analyzing the school, the, the different sources uh, was not as scary because as an amateur historian, that's what we do. We analyze sources. I have lots of different strategies I use in the, the classroom uh, to engage student in analyzing sources because once again, you know, we got to mix it up. They can't just sit there, read and answer questions. They, they would throw in the towel very quickly if I did that. So that's something else that I'm constantly thinking of. Uh, but we had that down packed, you know, as a class. So, um, you know, our first really task was, you know, can these students write a thesis statement? Uh, and that was kind of daunting, right? Because we first had to get them to pick up a pencil, right? <laughs> and then, um, go from there. Now, I did have the luxury and the pleasure of teaching seventh grade before this year. So a lot of our students that uh, I had last year, I had again this year, which was an amazing experience on a whole nother level. Um, but I was very hands-on in the design of the curriculum in seventh grade um, for my content partner. So I was really familiar with what we intentionally taught in seventh grade, um, which was very helpful when we were, we were tackling this challenge here. Um, 
So we created those thesis statements. And then based on those thesis statements, we started to, or I started to pull uh, students for intentional uh, teaching based on those formative assessments. So uh, we have this thing called MVP at our school where we block out time for priority students. And so it's a really nice part of our structure that you know we can move on in our content, our larger content classes uh, and pull small group for, for very uh, direct and explicit instruction. And so um, one of the ways that I formatively assessed through this whole process was through conferring one-on-one, -on -one, but also exit tickets every class period. You know, can they build a, a thesis statement? Do they have the parts? What are they lacking? Who needs to come and spend a little bit more time with me? And so I really had to wrestle with getting everyone to the next grade level. And then, so as I'm moving through this, once again, I'm coming back to that. I can't do this alone. <laughs> Right. And so it's like I need support. And then so for my my uh, social studies teachers out there, you know, so our classes like 32 students. Uh, for me, I had a lot of um, ECE students um, and other students with very specific needs and supports. And so one of the most important resources for me as I'm working through this throughout this year was working with our special ed teacher. Um, and getting just direct support uh, from family communication. And so, you know, the bottom line is not only can all kids learn, but all families want the best for their children. And I, I strongly believe by communicating what we're doing and like partnering with families, even if the families are just cheering them on. So especially at this grade level, like you can do this. Did you write some of your paper today? How are you feeling about this? I think was also a key component. Wow. So Crystal, when you started, you know, at the very beginning of the school year, you kind of had an inference of, of kind of maybe some of the work that you were going to see kids producing from your experience as their virtual and hybrid teacher in seventh grade. You did some formative assessments, like really kind of thinking, like, where are we as writers? So you not only had your inference, but you also had some student achievement data or some student work samples to go off of. You got some support from some other teachers in the building. You found a resource that you thought would help really support that engagement component. And you know, that really set you up then for the year. So after that initial kind of experience and data gathering and resource gathering, do you mind just telling us a little bit about the journey? Like how did you start? Like what were the ways in which you embarked on this series of argumentative essays? So every day I took a deep breath. <laughs> <laughs> And I said, we can do this, you know, out loud to my students. But also I was like, all right, how are we going to tackle this big kahuna? That's what, you know, that's my nickname in the classroom to really grab kids' attention. Like, hey, this is important, right? <laughs> um, and so the first part of that was really just getting rid of fears. Like we have all been living in our emotions, especially during the last two years of COVID. And so I was seeing through those formative assessments and those inferences that kids were just like too scared to take that risk, right? 
And so um, we had to talk about fears of writing. And one way that we did that was I actually talked about fears that I have in writing. I'm not a great speller. So like modeling my thinking out loud gets pretty hilarious sometimes. Um, and so what we did is we took pieces of paper uh, and I had students really brainstorm. A lot of them were scared of spelling, but they also were more concerned with their grades, right? And mm -hmm. so I'm scared of failing. Um, and so that also gave me an indication like uh, I need to build more trust for these students because ultimately, once again, going back to that question, was it like to be a student in my class? I don't want my students to think that I'm going to let them fail because I'm going to be relentless. <laughs> and so um, you build that trust and they're ready to take risks because they know that you're there to, to catch them if they fall and like. How wonderful is that? Because that's what I want as a student when I'm learning new stuff. And so um, we got rid of our fears. We put it on a piece of paper. We crumbled it up and we threw it in the trash can. And we all had a really good laugh and a movement break. Um, and then psychologically, we were ready to sit down and just knock out this, these papers. So um, the other piece was, especially when we got to like more lengthier, you know, the big kahuna, uh, I really had to be intentional about engagement. I knew if I asked them to write about something really boring, in history for the first paper that it would not be going well the rest of the year. And so DBQ had um, a project on the uh, Salem witch trials. So it was not only easy as for me as a teacher to kind of hook them in, you know, uh, and get their, you know, interests, but they were, you know, almost naturally interested in writing about that topic. Wow. So those, those initial, those planning steps, like that real intentional planning, addressing the social and emotional issues, building trust and rapport, planning that life-worthy high-level engagement piece. So after you get things going, um, what did you notice from the first paper? Because I know that formative assessment is a huge component for you. And that when you think about scaffolding for your students, you always are thinking about, okay, what are our strengths? What are we doing well? And where do we need to go? So I'm kind of imagining after that Salem witch trial paper or that argumentative essay, if you will, you had some noticings. Absolutely. Um, I had a lot of noticings. Um, and so, you know, what I noticed was that some uh, students struggled to write. Uh, some struggled to even just put a few words on the paper. Some were just instantly terrified that they're going and copying and pasting, which to me plagiarized work in that sense. And the eighth grade classroom is really about like uh, scared <laughs> or yeah. really lost. And so that's a first indication. I'm like, okay, this kid doesn't know what's going on. Right. And so um, I knew that all these students were capable. So the belief was absolutely there. So then the question really became like, what did I need to do and what supports do these students need? 
And so as a social studies teacher, unfortunately, you know, I went to uh, get my undergrad about, you know, a decade ago. <laughs> I don't remember a lot of instruction on teaching kids how to write historically. We wrote a lot as immature historians, but not necessarily teaching kids how to do it. So my first thought was to go to the experts. So I start talking to my colleagues, my wonderful, supportive colleagues, uh, and, you know, specifically, English language arts teachers. And I say, you know, first of all, how do you teach this? What kind of graphic organizers do you use? Uh, what do you do if a student can't get even one word on a paper or struggles to get one word on a paper? Um, and so that was really essential to like getting it off the ground, um, especially when my heart sunk when I saw like <laughs> that there was more struggling, you know, you, you predicted, but it's like, let's do this. What do we need to do to get better? And so um, the other part of that, and this is something that I discussed with the language arts teacher a lot was just, I needed to model reading and writing. And that's going back to that first question, like what is it like to be a student in my classroom? And that's something that I, uh, really think about a lot. Like if I was a student, what would I need from me to be successful? And so there's a couple of different ways that I did that. So I worked with small groups with priorities, like I talked about earlier, and really did the classic I do, we do, you do model. Um, and that was very successful. Uh, and then I had a very small percentage of students that just, again, were just really hesitant to even, I don't know how to begin, Miss Hughes. I can't do this. I'm not good, you know? And I'm like, yes, you are. So we did a little bit of coaching and motivational speak. And then in a small group, I just carried the cognitive load. I wrote a paper, walked them through my process of thinking, reading and writing, um, really with the emphasis on structure. Um, and that's something that we focus on at Elkhorn Middle School a lot. And it's something as a student that I appreciate because I tell the students, even if you don't know anything about the content, if you get the structure of writing, that's step one, right? It makes you breathe a little easier. You know how it needs to be to be structured. I also did whole uh, class group modeling where I kind of chunked it along the way and embedded some practice. Um, and then honestly, it was a lot of work in the beginning and a little in the middle. And then towards the end, it just wasn't needed as much. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's so, it's so interesting to hear you talking about like that idea of like kind of carrying that cognitive load a little bit and, and being a model. I mean, really, it's hard to write live writing in front of kids. Yes. And you just were like, oh, friends, I'm going to do it too. And you're going to see all the warts and all the bumps and bruises along the way. But just that idea of you really building that rapport with your students, but then also modeling. What do writers do? What does it look like when you just get started or when you get stuck? And so I'm just, I'm envisioning you with that small group and I can just picture it. Um, but then, you know, as the year went on, you just mentioned that you needed less and less modeling. And so how did you know along the way? And like, so I guess my question is like, what was the role of formative assessment if you used any? And how did you give kids feedback? Because we know in order for kids to grow or any learners to grow, there is that the role of feedback, there is someone letting us know or some, some source, ourselves or others, 
giving us that kind of check-in. So for you, how does formative assessment and feedback play into the growth that you saw with your kids? I mean, it's huge. Um, and so one of the ways that formative assessment and feedback kind of work together is through one-on-one conferring. And so I have such a variety of learners with different needs, like we all do. Um, you know, we have to have a little bit of that productive struggle because Ms. Hughes is conferring with one-on-one -on -one with students. <laughs> um, but, you know, the goal was this, right? Like I should be familiar with all of my students writing along the way. So when they get to the end of it, you know, they have their best product, right? And so it's not just me pushing them to write and then waiting to give them feedback at the end and then hoping they look back at it and rewrite it, you know, <laughs> within it. And not to mention all the hours that teachers spend like on the weekends, like grading these essays. So um, I was very intentional within the classroom and in the writing process of just like, hopping next to a student and saying like where are you at uh with your writing process and just having some general questions kind of like back pocket questions if the students are a little reluctant to share um or maybe they just don't know how to articulate where they're stuck at which is very common a thing, especially in a middle school class. I don't know, I'm lost, but I can't tell you where I'm uh, you know what what I need help with. I'm not sure, you know. <laughs> So one-on-one -on -one conferring was really important. And then um, we had a very specific rubric and I, I kind of collaborated with my English language teacher on my team uh, with this rubric and kids had time and space or students had time and space to assess their own writing, which is so essential, especially when uh, they're going into high school and then college level, right? You get that mm -hmm. syllabus from that professor, you know what's expected. So that's a skill that has to be developed. And in order to develop it, we have to practice it. And so it's a really powerful moment when a student says, hey, you know, I'm right here at like, you know, a C level or um, a proficient, but I really want to be at a distinguished. And so the next question is, well, what do you need to do to be distinguished? And so the student can articulate, well, I need to do this, this, and this. And then they had the opportunity to do that. And so once again, you know, we're, we're talking about grades too uh, and grading, like there's no surprises. <laughs> like, right. And, you know, we're working intently and very hard through the, the process, um, but it's not, you know, backing up at the, the end. And then we use that same rubric over and over again for each writing piece. So it's not that I have to take very uh, important instructional time and teach a new rubric. And the students are like in their minds are ingrained of what they need to know and to do to be successful on the assignment and in the classroom. Wow, so when we think about like scaffolding for success, I mean, Crystal, you've named a lot of really intentional moves, the modeling, the gradual release of responsibility, individual conferring with feedback, having students become so familiar with the rubric that they're able to set goals from one piece to the next. Are there any other kind of scaffolding structures that you'd like to mention that you think were also really integral into the success that you had and that your students had? 
So there are a few. Uh, one is brain breaks. And so we are on a block scheduling and we have students for 90 minutes at a time. And so, you know, just being intentional about the, the grade level that I teach and how long I could keep their attention span, how long they could stay quietly working and thinking through a process. Um, but brain breaks are extremely essential in learning. Actually, Edutopia just came out with an article um, about new research and science where it's saying, you know, even more that brain breaks are essential. And so that was that was critical to the whole process as well. Um, we also had classroom expectations, ask three before me, so students work in collaborative groups. And so uh, once again, you know, building that student agency where, you know, they can't always, there's one of me and 32 of students, right? <laughs> um, and so reaching out to a peer and like really finding those resources that they need to uh, move on and to you know, work through that challenge um, with so that I can also I'm able to confer with other students and give each student the time that that they deserve with the teacher. Uh, and then it just creates, you know, camaraderie and community when they help each other through uh, their thinking and the process. And then uh, differentiated uh, assessment or I'm sorry, assignments based on student feedback and formative assessment. Right, so once again, I have a lot of ECE students, and so those students uh, need, you know, highlighting and primary and secondary sources, sentence starters, detailed graphic organizers. Um, where you know I have like gifted and talented student who uh, you know gave me feedback like you are wasting my time with graphic organizers. <laughs> And I was like, you know what? Well, let's see if you could do it. I hear you. <laughs> and he did. And it was great. Right. And so, you know, not only getting that feedback, but acting on it. And then, and when I say feedback, also mean like formative assessment. Right. And again, you know, it's powerful to be like, okay, well, working with the student one-on-one, -on -one, I realized that he's a struggling reader. So let me give these easy tools to him to help him help himself get through a very challenging uh, assignment. And so, you know, one powerful tool that allowed me to easily differentiate was the Google Classroom. And so I definitely urge educators and teachers to, uh, you know, make sure that they're using those technologies or use those technology resources to work for them. Mm, wow, thank you. And thank you for, for mentioning those other components because I think that, that so much goes into scaffolding and so much goes into supporting students for right where they are. And you are a traditional middle school. You have many, many, many students, many sections, and you've got to keep that workload manageable, but you're also so intentional. So I guess the big question that everyone is wondering is how did it go? Like, what were the results of this year? What did you, let's talk about growth. Um, when you think back to where your kiddos started in August, kind of coming back into school, kind of recalibrating to then when they just left eighth grade, heading up to the high school, what did you notice about growth? Um, how did you balance your content area and your writing volume? Tell I us mean, that how it turned out. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, I think the number one indicator of student growth was uh, student confidence. I mean, mm. confidence and writing by the end of the year went through the roof. They knew 
how to tackle an argument essay right away. Um, and that was reflected in some of the summative assessment scores each unit. Um, and then just understanding like, you know, neuroplasticity, that's something I take a little time to teach in social studies that you, you know, practice makes permanent. And so the more we practice, the more our brain grows, our skills grow. And, you know, teaching students to really understand that and embrace that uh, as they work through these challenges through the year. And we really just did one essay per unit. Uh, and it did a couple of different things. Not only did it make them stronger, more confident writers, uh, but it also helped prepare them for the second part of the summative assessment, which was more traditional multiple choice. So I really spent less time reviewing when they wrote about the concept uh, and they had choices within that than I, I would if I didn't do an essay portion. So it didn't take away from the content whatsoever. If anything, it really deepened their understanding. Wow. So, you know, Crystal, when we listen back and think about just the conversation that we just had, one thing I just noticed is that you put in so many scaffolds for your students' success, but you also sought out a lot of scaffolds for your own success. And so when you think back on this year of your eighth graders really growing into these amazing spirited historians who can write historically, and you think about yourself as a very gifted social studies teacher who now also teaches writing within the social scientists. And that's a, that's a big year. Yes. Yes, it is. Thank you. Yeah. And so it just makes me think though about for you moving forward um, and thinking about your call to action. Um, what's, what's, what's next or what are you thinking about or what do you want to leave our, our listeners thinking about today? And so obviously the stuff works. <laughs> and refining this process as I move along, um, which I'm super excited about because nothing like building a foundation and, you know, building upon that foundation. So um, this is something I've been thinking about too and just reading and reflecting on. And so my new uh, leadership model in the classroom with my students and my school and my community is really courageous curiosity. So basically not being afraid to be curious uh, about what we're looking at, right? So whether that's data, um, being curious about that data um, being curious about the challenges that each individual student has, um, or even just curious about um, rising up to meet all of these students' needs. <laughs> How can I do this? Who can I call on to assist me to do this? How can we work together to do this? Uh, and then the second piece I've been really thinking about is just practicing radical empathy, right? Mm. Putting myself back into other people's shoes, thinking about it from their perspective, which is something that I was very intentional about this year, but continuing to do that, not only for my students, but also my colleagues uh, and everyone else that I work with or that um, I interact with. But I think those two, you know, themes is what's important. <laughs> Uh, in the works for me that I'm working on. Oh, Crystal, thank you so much for joining me today. And thank you for sharing your story with all of us. Um, these stories of just 
teachers and kids triumphing and, you know, really like staging that comeback that everyone was talking about. And it's um, just so generous of you to share your heart and your mind and your hands with all of us. So thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening in. The Phenomenal Teaching Podcast is brought to you by PEBC, Public Education and Business Coalition, and is intended to elevate the strands of the PEBC teaching framework, which is illustrated in Wendy Wardhofer's book, Phenomenal Teaching. PEBC is headquartered in Denver, Colorado, but works both locally and nationally to cultivate agency, equity, and understanding for each and every learner. PEBC provides customized on-site professional development and coaching for schools and districts, facilitates a variety of institutes and seminars, and offers an array of online learning experiences for all educators. We also prepare new teachers via the PEBC Teacher Residency Program. Check us out at pebc.org. Thank you.